Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Desert Dogcast, Five for Howling's official Arizona Coyotes podcast. It's a very exciting time. September is finally here. We're only a month away from the hockey season, only two weeks away from training camp, really. Uh, really exciting times. If you don't know who I am, I'm Rob Liano, host of Inside the Glass and Desert Dogcast. With me is uh, Rose and Carl. Why don't you guys go to introduce yourselves and say hello? Hi, I'm Rose. Hi, I'm Carl. How how, how have you guys summer been? Obviously, you know we kind of chat a lot over in the in the in the in our group chat, but no. How do you guys think? Yeah, how has your summer been going for you guys? I'm just waiting for hockey to get back, man. Is it October yet? <laughs> I know. I feel that one. Yeah, it's it's an Arizona summer. They tend to be very hot and horrible. And this year, the monsoon season left a bit to be desired. I know. Today was 105, and I was like, uh, well, at least in Tucson it was. And I'm like, please, dear God, let it rain. I want more rain here. I do hear it's supposed to rain soon, so that should be good at least. Oh, I'll be fantastic. Um, but as the weather cooled down, that's when that's when hockey season starts. Once again, two weeks away from training camp. How exciting is that? Oh, I can't it's, wait. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I feel like this is one of the bigger Coyotes off seasons we've had in a very long time, both in terms of acquisition of talent, ownership. It'll be interesting to kind of see everything come together on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting because you know, um, as, as as someone who's at least for me for me personally, he's only been covering the Coyotes more closely over the last couple of years. Even I got a chance to see all that change come in, and you know, the ownership change and and some roster changes, and I'm. You know, to me, I'm just like look, looking at this, and I would I would tell this to a couple of my friends over the last couple of years, and I'm just like, you watch out, the Coyotes are coming, and they're going to be good. That's the plan, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone hopes. I know, I know. Like, I talked to so many Coyotes fans, um, not just not just the uh, the group chat here, and uh, we have it five for howling, but you know, down here in Tucson, or even people I know from Phoenix. They are always talking about, it's like, oh, yeah, the Coyotes are going to be good this year. Or they even asked me, are they going to be good this year? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because actually, there is a lot that happened this offseason. Um, specifically today, actually, they uh, it was announced that Clayton Keller signed an ex- a contract extension with the Arizona Coyotes. And uh, quite a hefty contract. Eight years at about $7.15 million AAV. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Is this too much for Clayton Keller, or is that right about what you guys think he's worth? I think it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk. Um, n- not only because mm-hmm. Keller is already one of the leading scorers on the team. I mean, he may not be this coming year with some other offseason additions we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, he's already the leading scorer on the team. He's already broken a bunch of records for the team. And uh, you know, that you have to pay out for that sort of thing and you have to pay to keep him here long term. So and in addition to that, there's also, you know, a coming market reset with the 23 unsigned RFAs in for that are still currently unsigned for this season going into training camp. So that could shift things considerably. So getting Keller signed now as opposed to the end of next season, I think, is a good move. Even if it's a bit of an overpay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, I was just going to say, like, I didn't even really think about the RFA troubles that have been happening this entire offseason. And, like, that basically is going to signal a very interesting shift like you said in that kind of market i didn't expect this to happen this year um but if keller has a bounce back year he like lights it up with phil kessel like it's gonna make that price look like a very good deal in comparison i still think there's a risk even though he is one of the team's best players and he's their top scorer right now or was he still only had 47 points last year which how much of that him how much is that the team 
it kind of remains to be seen. Ideally, I'd like a player getting that sort of money to be able to succeed without as much support as he seems to need. But I'm not going to knock him for his second year struggling a bit. And I do think that he is going to bounce back and earn that paycheck. And I think that's one of the things that I like to consider all the time when it comes to contracts. Um, Cause I look at contract, I'm someone who's a huge fan of kind of reading into contracts uh, on really every team kind of see, is it worth it based off number one, their value on the team. So we know he's, you know, definitely a, like a, like going to be a franchise favorite. He's going to be that kind of guy. And you, you obviously give him a couple years to develop and, He's had those couple years. Again, like you said last year, he didn't have uh, a great season. Um, I think it's like just over half a point per game. But still, you look at you look at the, in the consideration of the team he's on and the value who br- the value he brings to the team. I think it's kind of worth it. Again, if you compare it to other players who are drafted around the same time and who had the kind of same ex- in who have significantly more talent and getting paid less, that's where you kind of think a lot of things get a little bit hazy. I was kind of mentioning, I even said in the chat, I said, I said this before, I kind of compared it a little bit to Timo Meyer's contract because he's Timo Meyer is getting less money at less term and is on, but again, a, on a better team, although he is, like you know, in terms of where he plays in the, on the team in the same area, a top six winger. But uh, yeah, no, that's it. I'm glad for the Coyotes for bringing up a uh, being to lock him down for eight years. Obviously, he's going to be that future of the franchise, yeah. and especially considering how many players that we thought were going to be the future of the franchise being traded away these past couple of years, whether it's Max Domi, uh, Dylan Strom, even Anthony Duclair to an extent. It's it's great that the team is being like, okay, this is a player that we want to keep around. We're going to signal that to him. We're going to signal that to the rest of the locker room. And we're going to signal that to the fan base. So there's not going to be a year where we're like, I wonder what Clayton Keller's contract situation is going to be. Is it weighing on him? I don't get to write 10 articles about how, like, hey, is his contract situation affecting him causing this three-game pointless slump, uh, which is bad for me because those are easy to write, but good for the team yeah, and good and for Keller. We only currently have two years of statistics on Keller to even be able to make any sort of um, predictions about what kind of player he's going to be. I'm not sure that that's enough. Um He's played, you know, 80-something games in both years, but, you know, he he's still only 22 years old. Um, he hasn't played in any playoff games yet, so we don't know what he's going to be like there. And also, um, they did manage to lock up um, some of his UFA years as well. So it's not like the Matthews contract, which takes him right up to UFA status, and then you have to renew. So they're getting some value added there because even in today's market right now, I don't think you can sign a 40-point, 60-point winger for less than $7 million. So in another four years, I think it is, another four years before he's UFA status, you're definitely not going to be able to sign a 40 point 60 point winger for seven million dollars yeah you actually make a good point on that too because i actually remember a couple contracts i think they were signed this off season for uh for restricted free agents is they would sign you know for less term because they want less term in this case and the and it's like that last year, their term was still an RFA, and it goes to let's say the AAV might be like six million dollars, but it shows like on their on the salary cap distribution or breakdown that the base salary of that last year is like ten million dollars, and that becomes the next RFA uh, qualifying offer. So that player has to be at least that much money. Now that's where things get complicated. So. That's actually, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think 
in this case, this is a really good uh, deal for Arizona to have. I feel like uh, GM Jacob in general just doesn't necessarily like doing the RFA bridge contracts, which were so popular once upon a time, but seem to have gone the way of the dinosaurs. I think Lawson Krauss gets the most kind of bridge deal in general, like with the Schmaltz lockup, with uh, Chikrin getting locked up, with Christian Dvorak getting locked up. And I think Keller is definitely a better player than all of those three. Chikrin, maybe. Um, but for not significantly more money, which I think if you look at it as it's his second year, like eight years is a long time, 7.15 million, that's a lot, but not really, uh, especially for a younger player who we're going to be getting in the best years of his playing. It's not going to be something where like he's washed up by the end. He's barely cracking goals. It's not that kind of deal. And I, like that aspect of it i definitely agree with a lot of the critics who are like he hasn't really shown that he deserves that yet but i think i have more faith that he can show that in the future and will show that starting next season one one of the other interesting things that i saw too and i'm looking at it right now is the uh on this breakdown is the the clauses on it they there are no clauses up until his uh, the 2024-2025 season, and he gets two seasons of a standard no-trade clause before it gets upgraded to a full no-movement clause in the final two years. Um, you know, this you know this could just be very simple and just like, all right, they just put that in, just kind of secure him as he gets older and, get, and get, goes through. Obviously, he's only going to be like 26 by then or whatever. Um, so it's, but it's interesting to look at those clauses because she's like what kind of factors into that i know there is no clauses in um when expansion comes i don't think that's ever going to be an issue but because they're probably going to still protect him anyways but um yeah what do you guys think of those clauses what do they mean to you in general whenever i see those type of clauses i think that the player gave something up in order to get some kind of control over his future and with it being max term it, it it's got to be money in my opinion i think if he didn't have any of that protection there's a chance he could have been going for you know 7.5 million or 7.75 like that seems like a realistic demand for me like if you get a no trade clause or a no movement clause that does have financial value and it's something that allows the player to kind of control where he wants to go Uh, so i did have a question um you can add it around this uh with the no trade clauses if he gets traded i remember this from i believe the suban deal the team can choose to honor that no trade clause or not as long as it happens before is that correct the team that acquires yes Yes. so let's say keller struggles in his first three seasons by the fourth one we trade him to st louis so they can market you know homecoming for him like they can choose not to honor those deals, which I think you know, right. makes it a pretty good steal on on Chica's end as well. Like it's not starting off with those kind of protections, right? And from Shika's history, he doesn't like giving out no move, no trade clauses at all. So I don't. I don't think there's. I think OEL has one. He has a full one going all like his entire term. Yeah, but why would you even want to trade him anyway? Yeah, no, he's like, yeah, he's like the soul of the team. Uh, not according to anyone who doesn't like him, because Coyotes <laughs> fans do not like them. Some defensemen that play offense too. They'll get over. It. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, offensive defensemen are. Fantastic. I have a feeling that next season, Sharks fan. <laughs> Exactly. exactly you know i'm thinking uh, next season the defense is going to score a lot more and i think that was the biggest reason why scott allen wasn't re-signed and i don't think fans are necessarily going to like it at first but that's my prediction we'll see how that goes obviously it's um again i'm a, again i'm 
I can risk, I'll, I'll, I'll probably say this so many times over the course of the podcast, but or, or as we go through the season, but yeah, I'm a fan of puck moving offense slash offensive defensemen because they can help generate offense as the name sounds. And if they can do that, it kind of really helps move things around and kind of, and, and that's how things shake up. And that's what I, if this team can start scoring more, especially on that, even, even from the blue line, that can be oh, yeah, quite dangerous. Yeah, exactly. And just because they have giveaways doesn't mean that, that they're bad. <laughs> yeah. Just means they have the puck more. Yeah. Or they're trying something that like just didn't work out that happens to work out three other times and no one pays attention to that. But the one time that it messes up, everyone jumps on it. Yep. There's the the only concern that I tend to get when with when it comes to a def- defense that moves the puck more is whether or not they uh, are fast sure. enough to get back on the back check. I've seen a situation where like a back check is slow on a, on a, on a puck moving defenseman and uh, they just get burnt and it's like a one on O or three on O or something. And it's just, no, it's not good. Yeah. And that does happen a lot. And so that's where you got to be. I do like that combination careful. of the puck moving defenseman with the more kind of stay at home style that way, like someone who is prepared for, for the rush back and you know, they may still be a three on one, but they can at least break it up a lot better. And and that and that works half that, that works so many times. And again, as someone who um, is a as Rose has already said, as someone who identifies as someone who's as a born I'm and raised Sharks I, fan. I, I apologize. Uh, I, uh, no, no worries. I, I think everyone already knows it at this point. Um, but I'm trying to stay professional. I you know I'm so as someone who covers the Coyotes, I got to say that too. But I like to make a comparison here, as Carl said, as some as an offensive defenseman who uh, likes to. Uh, if you get an offensive defenseman and you want to pair him with a stay-at-home shutdown defenseman, in the in the playoffs last year, we had uh, the Sharks had um, Brett Burns marked uh, paired with Mark Edward Vlasic. There's a perfect example. Is Brett Burns and a good defenseman? I didn't know that. All right, so, well, let's go with this. Keller, 23 goals his first full year with the team, 14 last year. What does everyone realistically think he can score? I think he's capable of the that 25 to 30 mark, like probably plus. Like he, I've, uh, and I'd say capable very loosely because obviously we don't, like it's all about, it, it still is pretty speculative because we don't, know exactly what he can do in the big show here in the NHL but um you know I've seen like I can see how I see how he plays and that is what I'll say he's ca- actually capable of as he develops over the over these next couple of years 25 to 30 goals I'd say that's reasonable and a lot of that is going to come from the power play and having um a healthy effective power play is going to be key yeah hopefully the team is healthier this year and has a decent power play if he can get on a good unit with you know any number of players that we have now i think that he's going to be really dangerous there uh 25 to 30 seems like a good mark i think there's going to be a couple seasons during that eight eight year stretch where he surpasses 30 maybe even 35 but I think that may be a little bit later down the line. I think with a bit more support and some steady chemistry. As, with, he, as he finds a line, he, a forward line he's comfortable with. Um, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, you can, you, you can see him up on that top line with like Derek Stepan or something. And like, and that, and that works for him or it's just really anybody you can, you find a good center for him. And that can really change how he plays and how his season turns out. Because 
that really makes a difference. Line pairings or line, yeah, line lines and pairings. Like it's ridiculous. You, just a little bit of tweaking, and it becomes magic. Yeah, it's kind of like the one downside of the Kessel acquisition, where everyone was saying that uh, Nick Schmaltz is going to ideally play with Kessel at some point. Love that idea, but I felt like him and Keller had just such great chemistry in the like short time they had last season, and I don't think you could put all three of those on a line yet. And so yeah, some, somebody has feels, to play defense. Yeah, somebody. Uh, and, ideally, and I feel like ideally you get a like you you have your center who can be uh, that defensive guy, that two like a good two way center. Yeah, yeah, but Schmaltz isn't that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's why they were how, talking about putting Lawson Krauss on a line with Schmaltz and Castle. That'd be an interesting line. Yeah. Just because Kessel doesn't play, maybe we should get into the Kessel acquisition now, since we keep talking about him. <laughs> yeah, sure. We yeah. Finally, got yeah. That's all. The introduction to Bill Kessel right. through his. Uh, his press conference the other day and he's excited to join the coyotes wasn't expecting it to be quite so hot (laughs) his video saying that he was excited to join the coyotes if you don't know castle looks terrifying (laughs) because people were like is he sad and it's like no that's just phil (laughs) yeah just the way just the way he is but you know just put him in front of them some hot dogs and you know he'll be absolutely happy (laughs) <laughs> no, but I, I think I, I think he'll love it here in Arizona. I mean, he's got he has a chance to kind of um, to have it go through a new team again. Obviously, this is what his fourth team through Boston, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Um, and as many as but you know, yeah, he <laughs> is a phenomenal board. I am excited to see what he's going to bring to the coyotes. And I thought, you know, to see him come into, I was, was like, okay, they're bringing in a little bit of an older guy. Maybe he can be a leader. Obviously he's, I think he is. Yeah. I'm looking at the age. I think him and Grabner are the two oldest guys in the team or, and Goligoski and Hajamerson, but those are defensemen, but they're the two oldest forwards. Um, How old Stepan? 31. Stepan's 29. Yeah. He just looks old. He always looks... <laughs> he does. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, also, it's glad to have someone on the team who's older than me. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Shut up, Carl. Everyone <laughs> uh, on the team is my age. Yeah, no, the, that part's not good. <laughs> the only way we get somebody on the team older than me is if we sign Joe Thornton. Now that would be interesting. Um, Actually, well, I mean, Patrick Marlowe's not out of the question for you guys. Still, true. He can't go to the Sharks. Yeah, yeah. That was like probably one of the saddest articles of the off season. It's just like the Sharks don't want him. I guess it reminded me a lot of um, Doan not getting re-signed. Only less direct i want to say um i don't know what their conversations were behind the scenes but like he seemed like he was kind of waiting in the wind for a while for for the sharks to say no yeah well the difference is is he's the one who went to toronto sure yeah that and that's the reason why um like i'm not as sad personally for me like i'm like it's like okay yeah it happened we got to move forward um, but if he were to sign of Arizona, because I know he wants to play, he said he wants to play, and he's looking at his options, yeah. and he wants to stay in the West. He wants to stay close to the family, yeah. which is going to be, I assume, back in San Jose. Yeah, his family's in San Jose. I know that. Um, I had some friends of mine actually tell me that they ran into him at like the mall or In and Out or something. Um, he's all over the place still, but. Um, <laughs> That's the that's that's the thing is he says he still wants to play and he's still capable of playing. He's one of the healthiest players like in the league. I mean, not missing a game in like eight years. 
Yeah, but I think he's definitely good enough to still play. But at what level? And for a lot of teams, yeah. it's got to be a decision of like, is it worth taking a spot from a younger player and giving he's him? A bottom, he's a he's a bottom six forward at this point. He's not he's he's not phenomenal. He's no he's not flashy, um, and he doesn't have the speed anymore. He's just yeah, he just he just knows how to put the puck in the net. Um, and that's the thing is you got to find a team. Like he has to find a team that one is looking for a veteran a veteran leader who can act again as like a as a sort of father to young guys as as multiple people are developing and two someone who really can afford to bring him in obviously you can, a team can bring him for the league minimum at like $850,000 for one year and go from there but if he's going to want probably more than that to leave his hometown or kind of hometown. Well, I think it all depends on whether how much he actually wants to play and if that'll be more. I could see um, him going for like a league minimum with a lot of bonuses. Um, so like an extra 200,000 if he gets over 15 goals, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know how many teams in the West are looking for that. Uh, Vancouver, maybe they got they're pretty young. They can use a mentor figure. Definitely not Los Angeles. They have enough old guys. Yeah, they're Los Angeles is well old enough. I think they're the oldest team in the league. Oh, maybe, maybe. Anaheim. They just got rid of Corey Perry, hmm. who wasn't really contributing much. Yeah, anymore, but I think but was one of those Anaheim veteran is uh, guys. also kind of in a rebuild mode. Sure. But I mean, you're not locking him down. You're not locking him down long term. So I can see, like, man, a one year deal. That seems okay. And I think the other thing is, um, I'm sure Marlowe's uh, allegiance to Teal will kind of, in a way, also deter him from signing with the SoCal teams. I don't know. Um, I think wanting to play and wanting to be close to family might override that. Otherwise, he might end up on Edmonton. <laughs> Hopefully I mean, not. I, I don't wish anyone ends up on Edmonton. <laughs> I mean, if we want to talk, I mean, to be fair for Edmonton, is they did win a tr- one of those one of the recent trades that they had. So, or yeah, I mean, a broken cl- yeah, clock is right half. Really. This is true. Where did he end up? Uh, nowhere yet. Oh, I thought he I thought he was going to sign with somebody well, or Hainer's sign a contract with somebody sometime. Wild, but they decided to go with Bill Garrett. That's what it was. Yeah. Man, the Wild. They had an interesting offseason. Anyway. Anyways, weren't we supposed to be talking about Kessel? Yeah, we kind of got backtracked here. I, I, I mean, I like that. <laughs> and we do. It's kind of like good conversation. But yeah, back to Kessel. Um yeah, I think he's going to be a good leader for the team at his age. I think yeah. um, um, one of the important reasons that they might have brought Kessel gonna... on is that he is that elite kind of scorer that can get his shot through and picks the right spots. But he doesn't always do the defensive side of the game that well, which is actually pretty similar to the way Keller already is. Like, they know Keller has vision, but his defensive game is not great. He doesn't go into the dirty areas, whatever. But, um... Yeah, I'm looking at uh, uh, Kessel's numbers here from the last couple of seasons. Look at uh, since the 2016-2017 season, he's had uh, let's see seventy points, ninety-two points, eighty-two points, and that's uh, that's the offensive production. Um, and his um, for those advanced stats guys, you go with uh, the <laughs> his possession metrics are kind of just average. They used to have like a a. Uh, Averaging around a forty-eight percent Corsi percentage, and for you not advanced and stats people, he has a plus three, a minus four, and a minus nineteen. 
yeah, there is another example there. So, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, you need the, he's like one of the guys you need to pair with, uh, some guys who can work on defense. And again, you expect that. I mean, that's the interesting thing about wingers is they're kind of back and forth. Yeah. They can, they can either be super offensive production snipers or they can be, uh, defensive forwards which aren't as common but you see them every now and then and yeah again phil kessel wasn't the only acquisition of this of this summer and and obviously the news of clayton keller everything get not the only news why don't you guys go ahead and bring up what else happened well in addition to getting kessel we also traded for carl soderberg this off off season well the coyotes did not we um (laughs) we were not involved in that trade (laughs) Yeah, yeah. they ended up trading Kevin Connaughton to the Colorado Avalanche in order to get Carl Soderberg, who is also a center and a winger. He's played both for the Avalanche. And um, we don't know exactly where he's going to slot yet either. He could end up being on the top line with Kessel and uh, Keller or anywhere down the lineup. We have absolutely no idea. Yeah, it's a really interesting position for him um, where the team has quite a few gaps and he could really fill in a lot of those. If he establishes himself as a defensive presence, then he can definitely get some top-line minutes in there. If he's more comfortable in the bottom six role, I mean, it's not like our bottom six didn't generate offense last season. Michael Grabner and... um, Brad Richardson were some of the better goal scorers, and they were ostensibly, what, third line, fourth line? It's tough to tell with the Coyotes, but yeah. Yeah, they pretty much roll four lines instead of worrying about who's first, second, third, or fourth. And that's why it's it's nice to have uh, players who can slot anywhere like that. I like I think the, it's really cool to see, you know, players that can really make a potential good top nine. Um, and, you, again, you can put them really anywhere, and they can look good in really any spot. That's – I talk about this all the time. If you've ever – if you guys ever listened to my old podcast, or not really old, it still exists. Uh, and it's also part of the Five for Howling podcast channel um, now, Inside the Glass. I always talk about – um, what I was talking about this with my old co-host Eric would be um, that you're only good as your fourth line, and you know you see again you have a good top nine and you have that last that, that those last three forwards that are really good you know or at least good depth wise can that can really pair up with another team's third or another team's second line you got a you got a good team. If you want a real world example for that, look no further than the Edmonton Oilers who have consistently had one of the best players in the world and have continued to struggle throughout that entire time, both before him and after, because they're very top-heavy. Some teams it works for, but more often than not, you need to be able to, to have four lines that can actually play. Otherwise, when those best players aren't on the ice, you're going to get taken advantage of. It makes me uh, get a reminder of... It's a parody video, but it's still very, very relevant. If you've got ever watched the video, uh, Pro Hockey Media Relations 101, it's a hilarious video. Um, it's just essentially, you know, um, robotic answers for any question in the media. Um, I love it because I get the same answers, too, when I cover the Roadrunners. Um, it's essentially, uh, it's like, you know, we just got to have four, ni- four lines banging all night long. Um, getting pucks deep, getting pucks in the net, winning some hockey games. Um, but, you know, get, yeah, that four lines banging, it, it's kind of funny, but it's also true. you got you got to have consistently four lines playing, and you can't have a top-heavy team. That's where things get dangerous. And I think in general, uh, Soderbergh's acquisition is a big sign of what's to come for the Coyotes. Uh, I've been looking a lot at their defensive prospects over the offseason on Five for Howling, 
and the team has a lot of them. And there's quite a few who seem like they can make the jump in the next couple of years. And we just drafted another one. I, I feel like there's going to be a lot more moves like this, either with players who are on the team like Kevin Connaughton was and maybe are getting less play, or for prospects. And I think we can finally turn our defensive strength into a, you know, a chance to get better forwards, which the team desperately needs more offense. And you can trade from that strength and get it. And Yeah, defense is always at a premium. Yeah. And I, I see us making a lot more moves to acquire forwards for defensemen in the next well, we also have to keep in mind that guys like uh, Galagoski, Yomrelson, Demers, and Osterney, they only have two years on their contracts. Sure. So they'll be up after that. And Leibushkin, he was only signed for one year again. So, And not, not, not to mention, too, obviously some of these players are still a couple, a couple you know, years away from making, making the big show, but you know, some of the guys in the Roadrunners also are going to be up there pretty soon. And they're going to be pretty good. Obviously, someone for me who's been covering them for a couple of years, and I'm like, I like this guy. I like this guy. I like this guy. Um, well, yeah, we saw Capo Bianco last season until he got injured. Yeah, the most kind of thing to do uh, last <laughs> season. Right? Yeah. And I, what, what, I feel bad for Capo Bianco because he got injured like the moment he came up to. Like, he was like, all right, you got your shot, Capo. Go make, go, go make a run for it. You're in the NHL and he gets injured. And he, and he, he can't get sent back down because he gets put on, the, on a season-ending IL instead. And it's just like, oh. Poor kid. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that showed enough that he's going to be ready. I think he's going to be competing for a spot at, at the training camp, even if there's not a spot there for him. Like, right. The, the team's got to make room for him. I think he's it's, good enough to at least get a solid look at the NHL. But it, it also shows you the the um, the kind of talent the Roadrunners have been producing. Obviously, Cabo Bianco, one of them, Connor Garland, who's pretty... Already part of the team. Yeah, already now pretty much a part of the team. Michael Bunting is going to be up there pretty soon. Um, so these are forwards who, we like, again, I've had a chance to see in the American Hockey League, and they, they play well. Obviously, in a case where um, you, you can compare it in someone like Dylan Strom, obviously he's, play, he, he's playing better in Chicago, but um, I but saw him play in two... Yeah, I saw him play in uh, in Tucson. I'm like, this guy is gonna be really good, and he goes up and only plays like f- six minutes or whatever in uh, in the next game in the Coyotes. And it was like, what is going on? Yeah. That's the only concern I have with some of these guys from the Roadrunners going up that they don't, that they get that little minutes. If they're that good, play them. I just hope we get to see Andy Mealy uh, for the Coyotes because I I just all of the nostalgic feelings. So when I first started writing about the team, he was there. And it would be great to see him in a Coyotes jersey again. I want that. Maybe get his uh, Roadrunners Kachina jersey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Roadrunners are doing the Kachina night. They, yeah. Those look so nice. They do. It, it's crazy how the team went from like not even wanting to acknowledge them to... Embracing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think part of that was... Gretzky. Uh, he apparently, I know he didn't like the third jersey, but I don't think he liked the Kachina look at all. So when he was coach, that was changed. If I recall my facts correctly. I think it, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it is very much like a nostalgic thing is when you go back and you look at a jersey from, you know, from the 90s, everyone loves it. If you look at the, you know, the other teams in the Pacific Division, the Mighty Ducks jerseys from the, from the 90s. And the you know the old Sharks teal jersey I love so much. Um, the all those little classic '90s '80s jerseys, those looked awesome. Now the modern ones are cool, but nothing's like those over those those classics. All right, I'm sorry. I just have to speak up for the minority here. I think the Kajina jerseys are ugly. <sighs> I'm sorry, they just are. <laughs> and, and you know you know I I know good people, good amount of people who don't like them. It's... To be fair, to be fair, I didn't move to Arizona until 2005, 
So I don't have any of that 90s nostalgia for it. I mean, I didn't move until 2000, uh, but I can appreciate that look. Um, I understand why other people like it, so I accept it, but that doesn't make me like it. I, I, I like some not great jerseys. I wish I had the third jersey with the desert landscape on it. I have a Phoenix Cobra roller hockey jersey in my closet. You can give me the worst jerseys. I'll be like, yep, I want it. You're going to have to take a picture of that one for us. Of the Phoenix Rotors. Or of the Phoenix uh, Cobras. Yeah. It's it's great. It's mesh. I love it. It, I can't wear it anymore. I got it for 20 bucks on eBay. (laughs) Yeah. Just those 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 classic old ones are just so again they're so strange. I was given it was not a jersey, but I was given a shirt of the old Californian Golden Seals, and it's just like, I look that. at this. So Rob, I was curious as a, a a Tucson person how the Kachina Roadrunner would be accepted down there, since the Kachina really is a Phoenix design. Is that is that an issue for Tucsonites? Oh, a lot of two. So far, to me, it's been really well received. I've had so many people that are just like, "Where do I get one of these?" Because I want one. Um, even if he, other people in media too. A guy um, who's a really good friend of mine who actually really hasn't not much of a hockey guy. He knows a, he's familiar with the Coyotes because he's born and raised in Arizona, um, born and raised in Tucson, really, but. Um, he saw the Kachina jersey and he's like, I need one. And he went to go get a Kachina Roadrunner's hat. Um, so he's like, he's like, he's all bought in. A lot of other guys I know, they're all bought in. They they really enjoy it. Yeah, the Roadrunner's fan base, I feel like, is a very interesting mix of liking the Arizona Coyotes, and most people know them as the Phoenix Coyotes, and just the general tucson not liking phoenix uh combination it's it's a great mixture that i feel works really i don't know every time i go down there it feels like i'm going to a coyotes game but it also has its own kind of weird energy going all the way back to when i was going to asu u of a hockey games down there yeah oh god they are so much fun i can't wait until u of a finally catches up and gets an ncaa oh I have been talking about that one for a long time, ever since I started attending U of A. Um, and I was like, please. But no, it's apparently not even in the talks, but that's another problem. That's another well, issue. They need a big fat donor like ASU had. Yeah. Very true. Do, are they, do they have a practice arena yet? Because I remember them having to go up to Chandler to practice. Chandler, yeah. Um, so they don't have an official practice facility yet. So they... Well, yeah, if they they'll have to practice up in Chandler a couple times, still. That's gotta be miserable. Like yeah. driving two hours to practice. They definitely need more ice in Tucson. Yeah. I mean, they're they're getting there. I know Tucson is already getting a public uh, holiday rink out in downtown Tucson. I know. I was looking at the renovations. Um, the, the recent Rio Nuevo Tucson renovation list. And a new practice facility is being talked about, which could also be used for U of A um, from the Roadrunners. So that would be nice. Yeah, it's only in talks though. Is and as anybody here in Tucson has said, and when it comes to the talks of a new ice, is I won't believe it until until a shovel hits the ground. Yeah. So, I don't blame them. Yeah, same for any Coyote Stadium. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> See, Tucson and Phoenix are more alike than we like to believe. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, you know, it's kind of an interesting topic. This probably, I guess, our I'll, I'll probably say our, our last topic for this episode, since I don't want to go too too long here. Um, we're about now a month removed from the Coyotes reaching a new ownership with Alex Morello. Um, what do you guys see out of this new ownership and are you do you think a i know it's kind of weird to say this because as i was just saying don't believe it until shovel hits the ground but do you think a new arena is is in is possible here now that you're a new owner 
it's more possible than it was before that's for sure um when you have an owner that has his his own that's wealthy enough to buy his own island yeah he can probably build his own arena on his own without even needing public funds whether or not he wants to do that is a different story um i don't know obviously i'm not on the inside but uh he's got Oh, I was just going to say, I doubt any owner wants to build their own arena. Uh, but I feel like anyone who is having that conversation with the league and Gary Bettman, like at least once, he must have brought it up. You know, if you buy the team, we're expecting you to get a new arena. Like, Yeah, obviously it has to be because I know because Gary Bettman has publicly said that the Coyotes cannot and will not stay in Glendale. Um, it's obviously, it's just not economically viable because um, the west side of the valley just isn't where it's the fans not, are it's not growing the way they thought the west side was gonna grow um after the recession hit you know the surrounding area in glendale it just it didn't grow as fast as they had predicted it would so uh, yeah all most of the fan base is on the east side and driving over to the west side right now during rush hour on weekdays is a nightmare. It's Particularly with, with the construction going on. Yeah. What I find interesting, though, is, uh, you know, talking about the kind of hy- hypothetical whether or not you can get a full privately funded arena, and it's possible. And to look at an, exa- an example for that, look no further Indeed. than the rivals up north to Vegas. Yep. Sure. It was, I think, 50% by the owner, Bill Foley, and 50% of it was funded by MGM Resorts. Because MGM Resorts wanted a huge stake in it, so they funded it. Um, so, if Alex Morello wants to do something like similar, he can go, hey, maybe let's go make a deal with the uh, uh, Salt River Indian Reservation and get something funded there. Yeah, like, he could do that. I believe I've heard that in the past is something that's being floated around, like um, like one of those communities in getting it. I, I will say, having attended more than a few Glendale City Council meetings in while they're discussing the Coyotes, I, I will be happy when they leave, because I never want to do that again. And I have done it far too many times. Right. Not recently, but thankfully, but they were very tough to sit through. And if it's privately funded and I don't have to sit through a trial with the Goldwater Institute again, again, I'm more than happy. Also, these things make me feel really old sometimes because I don't, Rob, you don't know about any of these things, do you? Yeah, you know, more or less. Just like, I, it's something you probably hear about, but nothing yeah. at all. Thankfully, no. the team hasn't been sued in an attempt to sign an arena deal recently. That alone <laughs> would be like, no, we're not going to stay here long term. You, someone tried to sue us to sign a deal. Yeah. That That's just right. not a working relationship that you can have. And I feel like even if you have a whole new city council, it's such a mercurial thing that oh, the NHL, I wouldn't trust it. Well, no, they a- don't seem to have a, a problem going up against city councils in other states and provinces like mm, Calgary. I mean, these are these are also like you know teams who with the fan base are just like so rampant that like they will like like they will rebel against city council if you if like if you don't vote for this we're not gonna like just like they go crazy um that's not true i mean <laughs> I, i'm not gonna i'm not i'm, not, yeah, I'm they, not saying to that extent but you kind of know what i mean it's just yeah, like i know but the city of calgary actually voted down the the original arena deal yeah, well, the city, know, yeah, city they of didn't want to pay for it, you know, out of their tax dollars. They had to rework a new deal. So, anyway. That's true. I'm hopeful that he can get something done and move to the East Valley. Um, I don't know where that would be or if he could get something done with Sarver or if he could get something done with... I don't think he's not going to get to your starter. I can tell you that. Like that's we we already that's that's way out of. I know. Or if he could, you know, get something done with 
the Salt River Pima Indian community or even with the Gila River Indian community. Yeah. I, mean, I would prefer it to be on light rail. Light rail so, would be nice. What? Myself, but I was having a conversation about this actually with Eric on Inside the Glass a couple um, on our last episode back in uh, late June. No, yeah, late late June. Yeah, it was late June. So it's a long time since I last recorded uh, Inside Inside the Glass episode. But there is an area um, that a lot of people were looking at as a potential site. And I want to know what you guys think about this. I'm because I'm not sure what the is talk that is the over there. Is that 101 202 area where it's yeah. a 101 202. It's uh, I like from what I see, it's like the only thing that's occupying that big, huge lot is a tiny little spot that's used currently for Phoenix Rising. Yes, and they want an MLS stadium too. By the way. Yeah. Which would actually be interesting. So Phoenix Rising can get can get an MLS stadium. Maybe stay on that lot, and I know from what from what I hear, the Diamondbacks want to leave uh, Chase as soon as like what next two, three years or whatever. If they want to, they can also move to that lot. Coyotes can do there. You can make a complex because that's a big lot right there. I'm looking at it right now. It's it a is big. a big lot, but you gotta you gotta plan for parking. Well, yeah. I mean, I again, I'm looking right now. There's this. Uh, like probably, um, I'm just kind of zoomed out. The, yeah, the like uh, as a certain example, I'm zoomed out. I'm not sure at what level. Like it's larger than my hand, this lot, and only a fing like a fingernail occupies the soccer field. Right, but you have to understand that all of that entire area that you're talking about is native land. Yeah, and we, I mean. And but that doesn't mean it's necessarily owned by the the casino. True. Uh, True. It could be owned by those parcels could be owned by individual tribal members. So in order to take up all of that land, you might have to negotiate with thirty or forty different people. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I know, like the infrastructure south of that isn't too great. If I and picturing it correctly, like a lot of two lane roads going either way, like that traffic would be. I mean, that, that again, it would take a lot of development. It and would. this is something that we're probably talking about three, four, maybe even five years down the road in terms of getting even the. Yeah, we're talking about the land across the street from Big Sur. So, yeah. I, I, um, and Oceanside Arena, where the yeah, ASU team and, plays. Yeah, exactly another terrible stadium but anyway revive that asu uh asu coyotes arena deal that they talked about for a while maybe now i I mean i don't think that i mean that would be nice and is even available anymore i think asu has sold it off and not to mention that the um asu is already coming up with a uh a like extension like just right next to Wells Fargo Arena for their hockey facility. It's like a multi-purpose facility, right? Yeah, so they're gonna have their own NCAA facility. Well, at least at Oceanside. That's pro- that's probably where their club team will still play. But yeah, if Morello could get a deal with the with the tribe and basically take over that land there and turn it into a huge sport complex that would be amazing yeah it's it's a prime location too um and he's a real estate guy he's a construction guy he can do that he's a pizza guy we can get some pizza in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you're like he... yeah it's it's just like what like you know like within like five minutes away from like from from scottsdale from downtown tempe mill avenue everything like it's it's a prime location for nightlife for people to go out and you know enjoy a night after either before or after the um the game i i do kind of wish it was closer to the light rail though but well much is 
Um, There are um, light rail extensions that might be going up that way, and um, not light rail, but uh, the oh, there's the the cable car, right? The cable car, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. They're bane of my commute every morning. <laughs> that runs down Mill Avenue, that one. Yeah, something like that could be extended up that way if they wanted to. That'd be good. I just, I, I wish that there was more public transport in Phoenix in general, but going to and from games would be great. That way I could drink more beer. Because um, now I really feel like, man, I got to drive across the valley. And yeah, it's not great for dollar beer night. I'll, I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah, I remember um, I had a friend of mine who was telling me that like sometimes it'd be more economical to go down to a roadrunners game than it is to go across the, all the way across the valley because like it's it would take yeah. it would take almost the same time yeah for some of us it does yeah i definitely remember living in gilbert and trying to plan out which way to go knowing that there was a 50 50 chance traffic would be completely backed up due to an accident that's where ways comes in sorry <laughs> Waves can sponsor us. Yeah. Uh, as a Lyft driver, I never liked Waves. Uh, so. It, it was I use weird. It, I use it for Uber, but, you know. It would always tell me I was on a different road. I don't know why. Interesting. It's probably improved since then. Probably. It's been a while since I've been a Lyft driver. Absolutely. Anyways. Um. I think that can wrap it up for us because we not much else to add on to here unless you get unless you guys want to make some final comments about your thoughts this episode or this off season. So uh, this was something I actually brought up before, and um, Russ Conway recently passed away, and one of the things I saw on Twitter was people were talking about his book Game Misconduct, Alan Eagleson, and the Corruption of Hockey. I just finished reading it. I had never read it before. Um, it's great. Absolutely recommend everyone checks it out. Uh, if you haven't read it, get Who's... it. Sorry? Who's Russ Conway? Uh, Russ Conway was a um, investigative journalist with a paper based out of Boston, I want to say. Okay. And he's just the one who uncovered the story. Um, he was talking to a lot of former Bruins players, and he realized that they weren't getting money that they deserved in their pension or their disability and he tracked it down to just a massive corruption scandal so definitely this, check is, it out. this is what his uh, the, the, the headline of his Wikipedia page says Conway was known for investigative journalism work for the Eagle Tribune and a series of articles and the book about Alan Eagleson and the mismanagement of funds and the National Hockey League's player pensions oh wow one nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in 92. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And the best part is he helped get a lot of players their money back after it was stolen, uh, which is great, especially for hockey players. Like, I cannot imagine someone messing around with an athlete's disability pay because it is their entire livelihood. And that, like, it's so easy to get hurt and to have that seriously affect you for the rest of your life. Like that just seems like something that no one should ever cross. Especially in a league like the NHL, where players make significantly less money than the other three major leagues in sports. And the league like the NHL, where players weren't wearing helmets in the eighties. So. This is also true. <laughs> yeah. I still don't can't. I still can't believe that that, that 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 was the case. Like, damn. I mean, goalies not wearing masks still freaks me out. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyways, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to this first episode. You can be able to listen to to this episode as well as our the Desert Dog Cast podcast and Inside the Glass on our Fire for Howling page. Just go ahead and look that up. Uh, we're everywhere, I believe, on iTunes and Google and Spotify. We should be everywhere. Um, and find it everywhere. Subscribe. And you'll be able to be notified whenever new episodes come. 
We record every Wednesday, and the, these new episodes for Desert Dogcast will drop probably sometime on Thursday, depending on more or less on how uh, post-production goes. Inside the Glass, you'll probably hear on Sunday. So you have two podcasts to hear every week. Fantastic. Welcome, everybody. And once again, thanks, Carl and Rose, for joining this episode. And obviously, it's going to be regular episodes for the Desert Dogcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.